The reading of the scriptures from Romans chapter 6, reading verses 1 to 11, I invite you to hear the word of God in reverence and joy, for we have the great treasure in this word and revelation. So again, from Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> Pardon me. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism in death, into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, please join me for another time of prayer. Again, Father, we bow our heads to you in praise and adoration of our great God in heaven. God, the Father Almighty, the maker of all things in the heavens and the earth and the sea, who keeps faith forever, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We pray to give you thanksgiving. We thank you for every gift which is ours in Christ, the riches of heavens that we have in him. And we thank you for our daily bread and rich abundance. Uh, we ask you to uh, bless our offering this morning as we uh, devote that offering to you, your service, and to the glory of God. Uh, we pray this morning for the needs of the saints, needs here, many unknown, uh, some we do know about, some uh, are ill. We pray for them, for healing, for renewed strength. Some may be uh, awaiting some resolution of an issue. May you intervene and resolve it in their favor for their good. We uh, remember... Uh, uh, the saints in Africa, uh, where there is renewed spread of the COVID virus, and we pray for their protection, their welfare, even if we pray for our own welfare, that you would protect us from the spread of disease, from the spread of lawlessness and violence. Uh, but in the midst of all these things, give us peace, a peace that passes understanding. Help us to Seek the kingdom of God and knowing that all things will be added unto us because such is the grace of God upon us. We thank you for the word this morning. 
We thank you for Phil, for his ministry in this word, for his devotion to you, his devotion to us, his devotion to preach the word faithfully. And now, Father, as your word is firmly fixed forever in the heavens, bless your word to us this morning. It may be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We do this and pray uh, for the glory of Christ. Amen. Uh, it's important to remember that uh, in uh, the Advent season, um, we, uh, we traditionally take a view of the understanding of the coming of Christ, uh, ultimately to pay for the penalty of uh, the sins of his people and uh, to give them uh, the gift of eternity. And, uh, of course, it's very true. Uh, but I would add from this text this morning, it is also very narrow. Now, by narrow, I, I'm not speaking in a pejorative sense. I could never speak in a pejorative sense about the gift of the Son of God. But uh, it is narrow when you understand that Christ on the cross accomplished everything about our lives. Everything. He left nothing undone. And Paul will begin to embrace all that he accomplished. Uh, specifically, uh, this morning, uh, our continuance in sanctification and the certainty of perseverance. Let me say that again. Certainly he accomplished the payment of penalty and the gift of eternal life. And praise God that he did. For all of us would be beggars throughout all eternity. But much more than that, he accomplished the certainty of our continuance in sanctification and the certainty of our perseverance in the faith from now until the glory of God envelops us in all eternity. That is a profound accomplishment of which the Apostle Paul will deal this morning. Now, our text uh, introduces um, for us a very key uh, theological change uh, that Paul has been dealing with. Uh, as you know, he's been uh, touching upon the fruits of our justification. Now he turns to the outworking of the righteousness of God in our sanctification which will form for the Apostle Paul the entire basis of our final salvation. Uh, furthermore, uh, sanctification, and this is a decisively critical point in the theology of the Apostle Paul, uh, our sanctification necessarily follows our justification. There is a seamless continuance in the application of Christ that will secure that. Again, we, uh, we embrace uh, Christ who has dealt with the penalty of sin. He is our pardon. Uh, it's a legal declaration in the court of heaven. Uh, and based upon what Christ has done, he raises this timeless question, what about sin that continues to influence us as it does? So that sanctification is going to engage in the theology of the Apostle Paul 
an infusion of grace to subdue sin and enable us to deal with its power. Again, the dominion of a sin has been broken by the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ uh, guarantees uh, our continuance by His life-giving power and thereby enabling us to deal with His power. In Christ, we are transferred from death to life, from the old world to the new. The new world uh, being, of course, uh, the world of His order and His sons and their sonship and the grace poured out upon Him the power of the Spirit. It's interesting, uh, if you think about immigrants that come to the United States, they seemingly are always coming, and uh, oftentimes uh, the world which they left has a continuing influence over their lives. Uh, perhaps they uh, bring, um, I don't know, their dress, fashions. Um, uh, certainly they bring... Um, their culinary habits um, they probably don't change uh, many of those things. They continue to uh, cook the same foods that they used to cook and on and on. So that the old world that they left uh, continues to influence them in a very profound way. Uh, one of the great battles in our uh, country today is over just that, is it not? Assimilation of people. Will they adopt a new world and our way of life? And it's a great argument in our country. Will they come to adopt our customs and come to accept our Constitution? I don't know the answer to those questions. But in the new world of Christ, I do. Because Christ's death and resurrection will assure their continuance in life and adopting the ways of the new world which the death and resurrection of Christ has transferred us into, again, from death to life, from the old to the new. In our lives, uh, sin, I suspect, will come knocking on our door. Uh, we need to recognize how to deal with it. And how is that? The death and resurrection of Christ. And what He did to sin in toppling the old order. And this is no light thing when we deal with sin because it does continue to knock upon our door. Sometimes it arrives at strategic points of weakness in our lives. Sometimes it follows us. How do we deal with it? The answer is understanding the death and the resurrection of Christ. Many things continue to influence us, but in terms of sin and death, they no longer own us because of what Christ did. They are no longer our master. They used to be. But that has been radically changed based upon the death and resurrection of our Savior. Verses 1 to 7, Christ's death breaks the dominion of sin. And... We died with Him. Paul begins with this great question. Having been justified, can we continue in sin? The answer is absolutely not, because we died to sin as a way of life. It no longer owns us. The old customs 
the old haunts lose their interest because we belong to a new way with all of its customs, uh, namely life in the Spirit, in the Word of God. Because Christ broke the power that used to own us. Uh, Paul uses uh, symbolically our baptism to confirm that for us this morning. As you know, it's an external sign of an inner reality that we have been transferred from an old way of life into Christ's kingdom. And so the uh, taking down of someone into the water is their death, and the raising them up is the resurrection uh, symbolically of their new way of life. Uh, Paul is using the symbolism to affirm more than just symbolism. It's now a reality because of the death and resurrection of Christ. Our baptism identifies us with death. Positionally, we were buried with him, breaking the dominion of the old order, and raised up with him, enabling us to walk in the newness of life and the new creation. Verse 4. Their symbolism of our baptism uh, is brought to the forefront. Old, which is death. Resurrection, which is life. It's very interesting to me that uh, there may be some uh, distant echoes of uh, the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, if you want to turn to Ezekiel chapter 37, read uh, verses 12 to 14, uh, because the imagery is uh, imagery in this text is of death, uh, and then uh, God is going to act in a very powerful way and bring life. Uh, I am commending to you the reality of this text is applying to your salvation. There was a death, and then there's life. Let's uh, hear the words of the prophet Ezekiel, beginning in verse 12, down through verse 14. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life, and I will place you in your own land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it, declares the Lord. If that's an illusion, and I think it is, the greater reality is to our salvation. Christ resurrected us, gave us life, and gave us his spirit to empower us uh, to embrace the new world in which we live. Again, you know the context, the vision of the valley of dry bones. How can dry bones live? Well, they can't. Except there's a God who invades humanity and creates life for his people. Which if you know him as your savior, he has done for you. You were dead. He spoke. You came to life. He transferred you from the old kingdom and dominion and order with all of its haunts and practices and customs that we know as sin that we used to love. And now, by His sovereign power, He makes you love life eternal more than physical life itself. By the greatness of His power. 
The theology is also captured by the Apostle Paul, Colossians chapter 2. Again, reading uh, Colossians chapter 2 and uh, verses 12 to 13. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgression and the circumcision, pardon me, the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. I mean, you cannot read that, but say to yourself in a certain way, I'm thankful God did it. And that he left nothing undone with respect to my salvation and my transference into the new world by his sovereign grace and power. Paul explains this in verse 5. We were united and identified with him in the likeness of his death. Our position in Adam was crucified on the cross. We used to be identified and controlled by the old order. They owned us. We could not escape. We tried as hard as we could, but we were unable. In many cases, we loved the old way. We loved the old. We loved going to the old haunts and the old customs of death and sin. But Christ and his resurrection gave us new life. And we are also now identified with Christ and the likeness of his resurrection. A purpose of the crucifixion was to break the power of the kingdom of sin. To topple it. So its ownership over us was over. And the result is we are no longer its slaves. It no longer has mastery over us. And dying with Christ, we were liberated from that power. Verses 6 and 7. I'd like to read read verse 7 from uh, the text. For he who has died is freed from sin. The dominion is over. The great uh, illustration of uh, immigration, uh, when a person immigrates from a foreign land, comes to this country, becomes a citizen, uh, the laws of the country which uh, he or she left no longer has authority over them. No longer. I used to be a citizen of the sovereign country of Venezuela. I don't have to obey its laws. I'm a citizen of a different country. Exactly what happened in the death of Christ. He broke the ownership, the dominion of the government of the old way and placed us in the new. And therefore, we do not and should not obey it. We, we should say to it when it knocks on our door, I no longer have to obey you. I serve a new master, a new Lord, a new kingdom. When I was in the army, um, there is uh, an event that occurs uh, oftentimes 
in uh, the lowest of units to the largest of units. It's called a change of command ceremony. Every two, three, maybe four years, a commander is changed. Uh, and it's symbolized before formation of the troops of that command. They form in formation. Um, the senior enlisted officer of that unit takes the flag which represents that unit and gives it to the old commander, the outgoing commander, the commander that used to command that unit, who used to issue orders to it. And then something radical happens. The outgoing commander passes that flag to the new commander. And in a moment, every soldier in that unit knows that the command of the old is gone forever. And there is a new commander. And so it is with us in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The dominion of the old, the flag, if you will, of skull and crossbones, is past and now over. It no longer owns us because Christ conquered death and has raised a new flag over us of life and joy and peace. We have a new commander now. Uh, the Lord. King Messiah. Uh, I do remind you that theo theologically, men outside of Christ have no spiritual life or power. They are unable to respond to the things of God. Sin owns them. It's their master. Uh, forgive me for using another military metaphor. When a new recruit uh, joins a service, whatever one it may be, in my case it was the army, uh, the new recruit learns very quickly that in virtually almost every respect, the drill sergeant owns them from the beginning of the day, which is very early, until the end of the day, which is generally very late. And if they're not careful, he even owns them in their sleep. Because oftentimes they will dream about his mastery over them. And that's exactly what he wants. To teach them that he's the boss. He's in charge. He owns them. And when he says column left, they execute a column left. And if they don't, they'll pay. For us, that's all changed. In the power of the gospel. We have a new leader, Christ, who is benevolent and kind and gracious. There's a great uh, expression of this in uh, a verse in the last book of the New Testament. Obviously, Revelation chapter 20. I'd like to read it to you as an expression of the power of the Gospel. Uh, and certainly, if there is uh, someone here who does not know the living Savior, uh, perhaps God will illumine the text to you help you to understand uh, the majesty of the power accomplished by Christ. Revelation 20 and verse 6, Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. And so it is we've been transferred from the old into the new. And we reign with Christ. 
It's a connection to the theology of the death of Christ. That He ended the dominion of the old and placed us in the new. Uh, Beginning in verse uh, 11, uh, the Apostle Paul turns to the resurrection. He has dealt uh, with the death and the burial of our Savior. He has reminded us that uh, we were unified with Christ. We were in Him when He went to the grave. We were in Him when He was on the cross. When He was buried, we were in Him. When He broke the dominion of sin over us, we were in Him, and now we belong to the new. How do we know that? He rose from the grave. The resurrection of our Savior. And the trailing power of that incredible life, conquering death itself, braced all of us and brought us with Him in the gift of new life. So that in verses 8-11, to Christ's resurrection is now the power of our new lives in the new world in which we live. The union is twofold. I remind you, we were united to the first Adam. We're now united positionally with the last Adam in his resurrection. Just look at verse 8. Romans chapter 6. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. The tense here in the Greek New Testament is... uh, in the, in the future tense, but uh, I take it in terms of a logical relationship. That we uh, died in Him and that we also live in Him and by Him. So that now the new life we have in Christ by His resurrection empowers us to live for Him. And that's why uh, when uh, sin comes knocking, as it oftentimes does, uh, we can recognize that its dominion has been broken over us, and because he has given new life, we can go and be about the things of our great God and our great King, Messiah, Jesus Christ. And that's occurred for all of us who know the Savior. What's also occurred is that new life guarantees the not yet of the future salvation of all of us in terms of our glorification. That Christ will come and make us totally, entirely, irrevocably, immutably new and glorified bodies. But the entire motion has been set in order. And if you will, the train is moving to that terminal point in all of our lives. So great that one of the last great prayers of the New Testament is John the Apostle saying, come Lord Jesus. And so we pray because of all that it means for us, because of the new life that He's given us when we were caught up by the very power of His resurrection. Again, the beauty of it is uh, the union that we had with Him. Dominion of sin is broken by His death. New life begins by His resurrection. And that union secures everything that new life means. Not just our sanctification, but our perseverance therein to the end, to the end.
to the greatness of the end from which all of us pray, come Lord Jesus. Accomplished by what? Death and resurrection. Jesus Christ. Our union with Him. Christ died. Death no longer has mastery over Him. He rose again. Death let Him go. It ceased to be His Lord and Master. He triumphed over it. If He did that, we did it in Him. Look at verse 10. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life that He lives, He lives to God. It's the very basis of the continuance of our life. He died for our sins one time. Uh, let's review momentarily the uh, uh, very important belief of what he accomplished uh, with respect to payment of the penalty of our sin. He died for our sins one time. One time. Uh, remind you of the theology of John Murray. It was a perfect death. You do not repeat perfection. That is why the Roman Catholic Church, every time they have a Mass, they re-sacrifice in an unbloodied way Christ again and again and again. And John Murray's entirely correct. You do not repeat perfection. What he did, he, won, he did one time for all time. The applications, the dignity and accomplishment of his life. So majestic was he in his infinite dignity and glory that what he did was one time for all time. It reminds you of this theology in the author of the book of the Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 10. Reading uh, uh, verses 10 through 12. By this we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. And I might add, because he totally paid for all of our liabilities and finished forever the work of our salvation. And the price of his life was of such infinite value that he satisfied in one act of substitution the liability of the sins of his people for all time. On the cross, he cured every failure. He left nothing uncured. One death broke the power of sin over us. And that's why we can no longer continue in sin. The very rhetorical question that the Apostle Paul begins our text with, it's worthwhile reminding that the theology trails to the end. He broke it. The dominion is over. When the drill sergeant of the old way of life, of death and sin, 
commands the church to do column right, they can do a column left because they no longer have to obey it. Not just because he demolished the old order and toppled its government, but because in the power of his resurrection life, uh, there is an infusion of power with all of us uh, to now respond to his kingdom and his way of life in denial of the old. Theologically speaking, um, the church has always um, dealt with a faction that I will call libertines. The libertine says, we can continue in sin because we are pardoned. Perhaps not that we should, but we can because we've been pardoned. Paul dismantles the argument of the libertine, if you will, atom by atom, and torches it. We cannot continue because of the death and resurrection of Christ. He demolished the old government. We belong to the new. We cannot continue. Furthermore, in the resurrection, Christ now lives to God. And since we are also united with him in his life, we are also able to live God too. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. We can now live for God because we have a new commander. And because our new commander has given us life, broken the old, established power and enablement for the new. The reality of this is seen in Paul's concluding exhortation in verse 11 of Romans chapter 6. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. When we encounter temptation, as we all do every day, we are to reckon the results of our union with Christ, dead to sin and alive to God. And I'm not unmindful that sometimes we succumb because we are still fallen. Our fallen nature no longer owns us, but we still possess within our bodies the vestiges of our old, old forefather, Adam. No longer commands us, but still influences us. Let's look at a text in Scripture that uh, deals with uh, the implications of the accomplishments of what it means to be alive in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read uh, three, three verses, uh, verses 22 to 24. Uh, before I uh, read them, I'd like to explain to you uh, the meaning of this text. Uh, Paul uses a number of infinitives here. The infinitives are linked to what Christ did upon the cross. 
they can be classified grammatically as infinitives of result. So what I'm going to read to you are infinitives that speak to the result that speaks to our new life in Christ. Not the cause. That's Christ. But the result of His accomplishments. Verse 22. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. The result is, coming to Christ, we have set it aside. It no longer owns us. Which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. That power of that has been broken over us by the new life we have in Christ. Verse 23. You be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We've been given new life. The spirit is renewing our minds based upon the power of the resurrection of our Savior. Verse 24. And put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. We have. He has made us new. We are men made new. We belong to a new order. The authority of the old no longer commands and controls us. We are men made new by the power of the cross. And the power of His life, if you will, the trailing power of the incredible resurrection of our Savior falls upon all of the sons of God, enabling them to live for Him, to proclaim Him as King Messiah, and to live for Him, and to obey Him. With the full recognition that when we fail, we are forgiven, but we have new life, we can get up and go on and be about the new way in which He has placed us. So that the power of His life secures our continuance in sanctification and perseverance. It is not a maybe. It's a not, I sure hope it happens that way. He secures it. It's not maybe going to happen. It has happened and will continue until the end. If you think about the majesty of uh, the theology of this text, it's a chain of events. We died in Christ. The dominion of the old broken. We rose again with Christ. Now we have new life. The chain of that majesty will expand in the theology of the Apostle Paul that breaks in a symphonic way in the great text of ends, Romans chapter 8, the great chain of the fullness of our redemption. Secured by the death and resurrection of our Savior. And so if you're a Christian, you're going to continue. I understand that there's going to be failings. I get that because I'm a participant too. But over and over again, I remind myself, you're in a new order, new way of life. 
And therefore, you can live it, follow it, obey it, love it, keep it. And the Spirit of God is there all along the way, ensuring that that new life continues. And Paul will expand upon this new life in a majestic way, uh, beginning in the initial verses of Romans chapter 8, and then cataclysmically conclude his great symphony with a number of rhetorical questions like, uh, who? Who can deliver us? And the answer is, Christ has. And His resurrection power uh, is bringing us all along. I uh, oftentimes would use uh, in my business a career uh, a sports metaphor of uh, skiing behind someone else's boat. I don't know if you've ever water skied. doesn't really apply to snow skiing, but water skiing, you know, you know, picture. Powerful boat pulls you out of the water so that you can walk on the water, obviously with skis, but you're, you're walking on water, skis. Based upon what? You let go of that rope, you're going to sink. The resurrection power, if you will, metaphorically in this sports metaphor, will carry us to the end. Draw us to the end. Reel us end to the end. Irrevocably. Based upon what? You know the answer. The death and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in all of its accomplishments. Pardon, yes. Forgiveness, yes. New life, yes. Continuance to the end, yes. Sanctification, yes. Perseverance, yes. All of it, yes. Because of what He did. And so the answer to continuing sin is the death and resurrection of Christ. In the words of Benjamin Warfield, when we have Christ, we have all. Words of the Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 1. In Him we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. When we have Christ, we have all. Pardon, power, Son, and Spirit. Justified once, yet sanctified in time in preparation for the glory throughout time. And now we know the basis of our final assurance that will begin here in Romans chapter 6 and continue radically until the great symphony of Romans chapter 8. That Christ is our passport to heaven and the guarantor of new life. I uh, I enjoy watching uh, World War II movies. Forgive me for uh, an interest that perhaps I shouldn't have. But I especially like the ones where someone is going through, obviously, Nazi 
controlled territory and uh, the, the German soldier stops the young lady or the young man on the bicycle or maybe on the train and, and says, papers please? Satan says, papers please? Are papers of the death and resurrection of Christ? A passport that will carry us all the way to heaven. And the dominion of sin cannot reclaim us. We cannot continue in it because of what He did on the cross. And the new life begun by Him is in us and will see us to the end. To the end.